Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're talking about the Sanina UFO landing in 1954. That's correct. The Sanina UFO landing in 1954. Now, this first article comes to us from the latest-ufo-sightings.net. It's illustrated pretty well. I kind of like the looks of it. It's dated January 24th, 2023, so it's recently written. The title says, The Credible Encounter, the 1954 Sanina UFO Landing, and Encounter with Humanoids. It's got a picture of this lady from 1954, and she seems to be getting into a bit of a tussle with these two humanoid-type aliens that have stepped out of this small UFO. It's shaped like, it looks like two cones connected. One cone facing down, one cone facing up, and looks like it'd be a pretty tight fit for these guys. It says, the landing, the, the Sanina landing of 1954 is one of the most extraordinary UFO landing and contact cases ever recorded. On November 1st, 1954, a woman named Rosa Lotti was walking into the small town of Sanina, Italy, when she came across an unusual sight. In front of her stood a vertical spindle-like object, which she described as being like two coins, two cones joined at their bases. From behind the craft emerged two little men, who were only about three feet tall. The man approached Lottie with friendly expressions, with one of them even laughing. They spoke in a language that sounded like Chinese, and proceeded to snatch the carnations and one of Lottie's stockings from her. Lottie, understandably frightened, ran away. After the encounter, a deep hole was found in the ground at the site. The men were described as wearing gray overhauls, short cloaks, and helmets. They were no taller than a five-year-old child, but their bodies were in proportion. The object was described as a double cone, about two meters high, so seven foot, and a meter wide, so just over three foot across the middle. It was made of a shiny metal and had a glass door on the lower cone with two small seats inside. Lottie reported that she did not hear any sound coming from the object. Now remember, this would have been about not even ten years after the end of World War II. In Italy, you can imagine this woman seeing some things, you know, living through World War II. And this is very strange. This incident is classified as a CE3, or Close Encounters of Three, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, by Dr. J. Allen Heine, meaning that there was a that there was a close observation of animate beings associated with the object. Multiple witnesses reported the encounter, and physical evidence in the form of the holes in the ground was found. The Sinina lent the Sanina landing of 1954 is considered one of the most extraordinary UFO landing contact cases ever recorded and has been mentioned by prominent UFO researcher Jacques Vallée as case number 24 in his century of landings. Now it says multiple people reported this and 
it's not actually telling us if they witnessed the actual landing and the interaction between Lottie and these uh, ETs, or if this was just something they reported secondhand. It says the Sinina landing is considered to be one of the most credible UFO cases on record due to multiple witnesses and physical evidence. So apparently there were people watching this thing happen. Rosalotti's account of the incident is particularly detailed and consistent. She described the little men as being about a meter in height, so that's about three foot four inches, and wearing a sort of gray overhaul that covered their entire bodies, including their feet. Now this is something that we get over and over again, this these, uh, description of these things wearing uh, coveralls or overalls. The important thing is, is that whatever they're wearing, it's a suit, usually seamless, that seems to cover the entire body. And they also wore short cloaks of a gray material, and over the one-piece overhaul, they wore a sort of doublet fastened with little buttons that looked like shiny stars. The trousers were tightly fitting, like the long underpants that our men wear in the winter. Their faces were normal, but small, and they were no taller than a five-year-old infant. The object they saw was described as a double cone, which was over two meters high, as we said about, that's, you know, close to seven foot, a little over seven foot. Its outside appeared to be made of polished light metal, and its lower cone had an open glass door. In the center of the spindle, which was the whitest part of the object, there was a roundish glass, which closely followed the mysterious machine's round shape. And they have an illustration here, apparently, of what she drew. Very odd. It looks like they said, just like two ice cream cones, you know, stuck together um, at the whitest parts. And then you have this door opens up and then a window above that. Looks like it would really be uh, a tight fit for even a three foot tall man to be in. The sighting was reported by multiple witnesses and the physical evidence of the deep hole found at the site added credibility to the incident. The Sunita landing is also significant because it is one of the few cases where the occupants of the UFO were described as being human-like, rather than the more common descriptions of beings with large eyes and small mouths. Despite the credibility of, of the Sunita landing, some skeptics have attempted to explain the incident as a misidentification or hoax. Some have suggested that Lottie may have mistaken a weather balloon, boy, there goes the weather balloons again, or other man-made object for a UFO. However, Lottie's detailed and consistent description of the object, as well as the fact that multiple witnesses reported seeing the object, make this explanation unlikely. I would say make this explanation impossible. Some skeptics also believe that Lottie and her group staged the incident to make it look like a hoax. Well, that doesn't make any sense. However, this theory is not supported by any credible evidence. The fact that the hole in the ground that was discovered at the site was almost a meter deep, that's over three feet, and it was hard to fake, makes the incident more believable. Yeah, at this point, I'm not really interested in what the debunkers and the skeptics think anymore. I just don't have time for them. It says, in conclusion, the Sunita landing of 1954 is considered one of the most extraordinary and credible UFO landing and contact cases on record. The detailed, consistent account provided by Rosa Lottie, multiple witness reports, and physical evidence all lend credibility to the incident. While some skeptics may attempt to explain the incident as a misidentification or hoax, 
there is no evidence to support these claims. The Sunina landing remains one of the most intriguing and unexplained UFO counters, encounters in history. Man, definitely one of the strangest. Now, we have another little more detailed article here. I probably won't read the whole thing, but it's really long. It's from, I'll just spell it, I-G-N-A-C-I-O-D-A-R-N-A-U-D-E.com, Ignacio Darnad. Uh, it's written by Serge Conti. I don't see the date on it here anywhere. It says the Sinina landing of 1954. November 1st, 1954 is a date that marks the occurrence of one of the most extraordinary UFO and contact cases ever recorded. It has already been quoted by Valet as number 24 in his century of landings. Sinina is a small town near seen in the province of Arezzo. On the morning of that day, of course we're talking about Italy, on the morning of that day, a Monday and a feast day in the Catholic Church, Rosalotti Nidanelli, a 40-year-old peasant woman, mother of four children, living at a farm called La Colina, which is situated in a lonely region between Sinina and Caponole, had risen early to go down into Sanina to visit the church and the cemetery. She was carrying a bunch of carnations destined for the altar of the Madonna Palinga Pellegrina, whose procession had taken place the preceding evening. It was 6.30 a.m. Rosalotti rarely went into town and spent most of her time on her artist duties, ar- arduous duties on the farm. Now, these are simple, hard-working people. On this feast day, morning, however, she had put on her new dress and started out along the footpath that leads through fields and thickets toward the town. She went barefoot, carrying her stockings and her best shoes so as not to get them dirty. She would put them on before she came to the first house. She reached a point on this path, regularly taken by her, where it passed through a thicket of low bushes. She knew this path perfectly. She had even gone along it many a time at night without ever having any sort of unpleasant encounter or nothing, noting anything unusual. Arriving in the middle of a small clearing among the shrubs and sparse trees, she suddenly beheld near a pine tree and on the edge of the little grassy area a strange and unwanted object that at once aroused in her both curiosity and surprise. It was a sort of huge spindle fixed perfectly in the ground. So this thing had already landed when she came across it. You can imagine this 1954. I mean, it sounds like she didn't even have a cell phone or a television. They're just living in really about the same way they were living in the Middle Ages. And she's just doing her thing, coming into her little church to do her, to do her, uh, you know, uh, service with the flowers, minding her own business. And she comes across this UFO just... Bam, right there in this little metal she passes through. It says, The craft and the little men. This is how Rosalotti subsequently described the strange machine. Quote, A sort of double cone over two meters high, about a meter wide in the middle. So like we said, that's like six foot eight inches by three foot four inches. About seven foot tall. Like two bells joined together at their bases. The object was very swollen out in the middle and pointed at the two ends. It seemed to be covered with leather. 
The outside of it shone as though it was a very polished light metal. On the lower cone, there was an open glass, and inside it could be seen, and inside it could be seen two little seats, little seats like those used by children. In the central part of the spindle, there was, where it was whitest, there was a sort of roundish glass, closely following the round shape of the mysterious machine. Rosilada had heard no sound from it. Rosilada had stopped in her tracks, astonished and curious, but her surprise was only just beginning. From behind the spindle, she beheld two strange beings emerge, almost like men, but of the size of children, was her description. The two little beings approached her with friendly expressions on their face. She had plenty of time to make a thorough examination of them, so she was so that she was afterwards able to describe them in the minutest details. Well, I think the same was probably so shocking that the whole encounter was just uh, etched into her mind. It says, about a meter in height, again, three foot four inches, they were wearing a sort of gray overhaul, all in one piece, including the feet of their backs. They had short cloaks of gray material, and over the one-piece overhaul, they wore a sort of doublet, fastened right up to the collar with little buttons like shining stars. Their trousers were tightly fitting, like the long underpants that our men wear in the winter, she said. Their faces, crowned by helmets, were normal but small. Both were no taller than a five-year-old infant, but their bodies were in proportion. It would have been taken it would have taken two of those things to make a man, she said. But they were very fine looking, even though rather old. Vigorous, lively, they were talking away as though they were Chinese. They kept saying Liu, Lei, Loi, Lao, Loi, Lei, Liu. They gesticulated, but with no trace of menace. Indeed, on the contrary, in a friendly fashion, as though they were trying to make themselves understood and to strike up a rudimentary conversation. The older looking of the two was the more jovial, laughing and obviously trying to establish contact with her. They had magnificent eyes, full of intelligence. Their noses were of normal shape, their mouths just like a man's, but their upper lips were slightly curled in the center, so that even when they were not laughing, their teeth were still exposed. They were teeth like ours, broad, strong teeth, but short, as they had been filed down, as if they had been filed down, and somewhat protruding like the teeth of rabbits. Their ears were hidden under two leather discs, and there was a band around their foreheads, also of leather. There was a band around their foreheads, also of leather. According to Rosalotti, who was now terrified, they snatched out of her hands the bunch of carnations and one of her black stockings. When she remonstrated timidity, the one man who seemed the older of the two handed some of the flowers back to her, but kept five of them. Then, having examined the the structure of the flowers with an air of curiosity and laughing the while, he wrapped them in the stocking and threw them into the spindle or through the small opening. Then they stepped back a few paces from her and took two packages from inside the machine, white objects, circular, circular, which they carried in the hollow of the arm, holding the arm bent with the hand of the chest. The thing seemed to be wrapped in newspaper, but it was not newspaper. They turned toward the lady again, but she had seized the moment to escape. After running about a hundred meters, she looked back. Everything had vanished. 
Well, wouldn't it have been nice to have got that package they were trying to hand her? It's almost as if they were taking these flowers and maybe her stocking from her, and in exchange wanted to give her something back. Next we see the psychological effects on the eyewitness. It says, dumbfounded and terrified, Rosalotti reached the town gasping for breath. The sight of the little men in the spindle had petrified her. She was frightened to death. Shortly afterwards, she seemed, she seemed for a while to be able to remember nothing. All she, all she could recall was that when at last she had managed to move her legs, she had fled screaming. She reported her extraordinary adventure to the local brigadier of the Carabinieri, because that's the police, I suppose. Later, she repeated it to the Captain Massaro and to Chief Inspector of Carabinieri for the Busine region. Naturally, many people at once ran to see the spot where the weird happening had occurred. All of them were in agreement that they had seen a great hole in the ground at the spot where the spindle had stood. Cabinet, who went there in an effort to investigate the affair, also found, in their turn, that there was indeed a deep cavity recently made in the ground. It was impossible for the cabinet to make impressions of any particular marks, as the horde of curiosity seekers had already trampled down everything all around, wiping out any footprints that might have been there. The hole was also seen by the chief inspector of cabinet at Ambra Singer Zulimi Baterli, who happened to be out hunting in the vicinity at the time. So this must have caused really quite a stir, obviously. It says, as the aftermath, the encounter with the two beings had lasted about ten minutes. The first person met Rosalotti after her precipitate flight was a man whom she knew, a certain Beppe Gustinlini, known also as the Giacco, who was out hunting nearby. But she was so dazed and stunned that she did not even think of telling him anything about it. It was only later in church that one of her friends, a certain Anita Valente, seeing how disturbed she was and how she was trembling, asked her, Oh, Rosa, what have you, what have you been doing? Then Rosalotti, then Rosalotti told her everything, giving full vent to her emotions. Well, this must have just been a shocking experience for this poor woman. Don Guidi Bellardi, the parish priest of Siena, of Sanina, who knew her to be an extremely well-balanced member of his flock, absolutely free of any sort of foolish fancifulness or empty reveries, himself was greatly impressed by what she had to say, and he believed her. Then it goes on here, it says, Now, 18 years after the events, of course, this has been 1972 when this is written, we have examined the Sanina case, and thanks to the active support that we have received from the Prado UFO Study Group, we have been able to check the details and also gather valuable pieces of supporting testimony. The Prado UFO Study Group, consisting of Ciro Bianco and Virgilio Chiari, visited the landing site several times and contacted Rosalotti, who is still alive. These young investigators have carried out a painstaking inquiry and have secured confirmation of all the facts of what happened on that far-off day in November of 1954. In addition to that, they have also secured a number of fresh details, which perhaps for carelessness the newspapers omitted at the time, or which they distorted. For example, Rosa Lotti maintains, contrary to what the press reports said at the time, that she had not felt any fear whatsoever during her contact with the mysterious little beings. The fear and alarm overcame her only later when she got further and further from the place of the encounter. She began thinking over what had happened, and she became fully conscious of it all. This 
reminds me so much of these stories where these people seem to be under some sort of mind control from these things. This point would in fact provide grounds for supposing that the presence of the humanoids created a state of tranquility in the human subject. I could see that. And that only when she sat at a distance from them did atavistic fears manifest themselves, getting the upper hand in her producing the sensations of terror and anguish that any unknown phenomena inevitably provokes in the human mind. This further clarification by Rosalotti is consequently of great importance. It is moreover borne out in other UFO contact reports where likewise no psychological disturbance occurred in the parties involved so long as they were still in the presence of the visitors. Another discrepancy arises in connection with certain of the details of her description of the spindle. Here are the actual words of the statement made by Rosa Lottie Denali to the investigators from the Prado Center when they interviewed her. It says, In the thickest part of the spindle it had two portholes on opposite sides to each other, and in the center between them there was a little door, enabling me to see inside two little kitty chairs set back to back, each of them facing toward one of the portholes. So apparently they have the door, they can open this craft up, they can go in, they can sit down, and they can look out the portholes to observe. A further report de reported detail which the lady denies concerns the shape of the mouths of the two unknown beings. She maintains, contrary to what was reported at the time of the press, that the upper lips were in fact not curled, but were normal. And she adds that she noticed at the time that the two little beings were well-shaven. She says particular emphasis on her recollections of this. She lays particular emphasis on her recollections of this point. In her description of the mysterious machine, she has confirmed her report, reported impressions that it seemed as though it was covered with leather, or at least in a metal of a similar similar coloring to leather. But she was, but she has made it clear that it was in fact not shiny. Also, the detail about the tree has been reflected by her. It was, in fact, not a pine near which the machine was standing, but a cypress still existing today. Moreover, she fixed the time of the encounter more precisely and made clear that it was at 6.30 a.m. and not at 7.30 a.m. as had been reported. Moreover, she stated that what the beings took from her was all the flowers and one stocking. Nothing was returned to her by them. So you see, it's just amazing how when people go back and actually do the research on these things, how shoddy the newspaper reporting is. Even back then, in 1954, they just don't take the time to get the details correct. Further interesting details given by her relate to the object that the two beings brought out from inside the spindle, the elder of the two beings, and her, and only he, took possibly from under one of the seats an object, only one object, which resembled a small cardboard package. It was round and of a dark brown color. He raised it to his chest and pointed it at her. Rosie Lottie thought he wanted to take a photograph of her. It was then that she ran off, and when she had gone about a hundred meters, she turned around and looked. She saw that the little men and their spindle were still there. It hadn't disappeared, the paper said. It is therefore not correct that she saw the craft take off or that she witnessed any sort of spooky disappearance. Wow. But then it goes on, it says, A vast network of collateral eyewitnesses accounts is now available to provide quite particular validity for the Sanina phenomena and to cause it to acquire a value as an eyewitness account that is well nigh 
irrefutable, almost all of these accounts confirm the time which the spindle came down over the thicket of Sanina at around at about 6.30 a.m. So people, this is a lot more detail see, than, than what we're getting before. As stonemason Romulo Berry, 25 years old at the time, coming back from Badi Agana, according to the version of Gione del Matteo, November 2nd, 1954, from his house, situated at Giovanni, a place on the opposite slope of the little valley, formed a mountain stream known as Ombra, declared that a luminous black rocket, like a cigar, and exhaling flames from its tail, rose up vertically out of the Sanina woods and headed toward Badia Arruti. The rocket was seen by him to rise vertically at first, and then to travel onwards almost horizontally. He heard no sound from it. The color of the object was bluish. A, work from, a workman from San Leonino, whose name of the newspaper is La Nationale Italiano, I just both of November fifth, nineteen fifty-four, did not give his, did not give was out hunting on the time, was out hunting at the time in Ombra area and was described and described how, at precisely the same time, he observed a strange luminous object landing, in precisely that same wood. The nurseryman Andre Livy of Monteverde was driving his van full of flowers, at that moment along the road from Levant to Bichine when he saw from near Bichin a great reddish-coned-shaped thing coming from the direction. And then it says it heading straight towards Siena. Unfortunately, he lost sight of it behind the thickets covering the hills. Consequently, he was able to observe the object only for a few seconds. Wow. And it goes on and has a few more here. It talks about... So there were multiple people all around this place that saw the rocket and saw this, this craft either... Uh, Landing or taking off, and this just goes to show the amount of detail that was left out of um, the original uh, reports, the original newspaper reports. And so then, what I find interesting about this is that even though if we dig around a little bit and we can find this, uh, we can find this investigation that was done 18 years later, where these folks went back and they talked to they talked to the original witness, Miss Slotty. They talked to multiple eyewitnesses that were in the area that saw this craft uh, descending and landing. They got all these eyewitness accounts written down. They all match up. But in spite of all that, if you come across this case online, the first thing you're going to see is uh, the debunkers lined up to make these ridiculous, uh, ridiculous assertions that what they saw was a weather balloon or some sort of uh, weather event. When clearly... This is a classic uh, multiple eyewitness account. And in the middle of that, you have this woman who had an interaction with the two aliens or entities that were on board this craft. Really, it's a fascinating account overall. It's uh, the Sanina landing, that's C-E-N-N-I-N-A, of 1954. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.